If you've uh, been with us these last couple months, you know we've been going through the life of the Apostle Peter. It's been a fascinating study as we look at this man who had incredible strengths and incredible weaknesses, had days of incredible victories and days of amazing defeats. As we have gotten through his life journey, we went through First Peter, and we looked at how he talked to us about, about this incredible salvation protected and kept for us in heaven, and how we are citizens of God's kingdom, and how with that title, we are to live as servants of the living Lord here on this earth. As we began last week, the second Peter, uh, he challenged us afresh about how we should live. Salvation in First Peter, Second Peter talks about uh, how you are to grow and mature in your faith. And he, he gave us this, this wonderful model of like climbing staircase and, and going deeper into our, into our faith and into maturity. So we're now looking at the second half of the first chapter. Let, let, let me start with a, a little bit of a story. There is a, an individual called John Wooden. He actually passed away uh, a couple years ago at, I think, 99 years old. Um, born uh, around the war, grew up in a farming town. When, uh, when basketball started to occur, his dad took a tomato basket and took the bottom out and put it up on the barn, and mom sewed a bunch of rags together to make a ball, and that's where he learned basketball. Uh, went to school and became an incredible star, and then went on to college and played that. After, after the war, he became a teacher and started to teach basketball in the school that he taught. Eventually, he would move up and he would become the head coach uh, for the basketball team for the uh, UCLA Bruins. Now, when he started, basketball wasn't that critical. And, and uh, literally, he had to share a, a court before, afterwards, was, was some gymnastics and, and another group came on after his team practice. And, and, but, but he raised the sport. In fact, they would say that John Wooden literally was considered America's greatest basketball coach. Now, that takes quite a title. Uh, some of the things he achieved, he did 10 national championships, uh, 21 conference championships, 13 of his players went, became American All-Stars. Uh, he actually had a, a game streak of 88 games uh, that they, they won without uh, losing one, one of those games, 88 in a row. Um, John was different, though, than most coaches. He wasn't about winning. He was about doing your best. He was about your character as a player more than it was about, about um, uh, being the best uh, player on the team and all of that stuff. Whenever things went bad, he would say, did you try your best? And if you tried your best, you won. And, and that absolutely transformed his players. You, you, you can literally go throughout the nation in the States and find coaches have, have modeled off under him as, as he developed what he called a pyramid of character. The thing I, I liked about John Wooden is he was just Mr. Practical. And, and when he came to teaching basketball, it was about the basics. It was about learning the fundamentals 
Now, understand, by the time you got to university basketball, you had to have been playing it a long time and knew it really, really well. But John would take you right back to the basics. In fact, his players tell a story that every year, whenever the team would start and come together and, and come to their first practice, he would pull them all into the locker room and he'd get them into a big circle and he'd have a chair there for himself and they'd all sit down and he would look at all of his players and he'd say, okay, take your shoes off. Okay, and I took the shoes off. Now I want you to take your socks off. Okay, we'll take our socks off. And then, and then he looked at them and, and he said this, I'm going to teach you how to put on your socks. Now, some of the players would shake their head and wonder what's going on here. And, 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 but Coach Wooden would say this. He says, if you don't learn the basics, if you don't learn to put on the socks, you'll get blisters. And if you get blisters, you won't be able to run very much. In fact, if you get bad blisters, you might not even be able to play for a while. And if you get blisters and are running around the court, you'll be thinking about the blisters, not your game, and you will miss the shots. And if you miss the shots, we don't get the baskets. And if we don't get the baskets, we don't get the score. And if we don't get the score, we don't win. So we have to learn to put on our socks. I like that. Because it's simple, it's basic, it's practical. <laughs> but it's like, wow. I, I never thought that was important. Peter, as we enter this passage, kind of has the same mindset. As, as we're entering the passage, he breaks this, this, this small section into kind of three parts. The first, he starts off getting extremely personal and, and very intimate with those he's writing to. He, he, says, he says, I'm going to write to you about something that you all know about. He says, my goal is to remind you of these things. He says, you may know it, you may have be firmly established in it, but I'm going to talk about it again, and I want to refresh your memory about these basic things. Now, in the structure of Second Peter, as we enter chapter 2, he is going into some major teaching about false teaching. Then as we go to chapter 3, he's going to do some major teaching about second coming. And so he wants you and I to be reminded of the basics of, of what we need to understand if we're going to be victorious in those two areas. If we're going to be able to handle those who are, are false teachers or false teaching that enter churches. If we're going to be able to deal with questions about, so where is Jesus and how come he hasn't come back? And, and so he wants to remind us again of what the basics are. Now, please understand as he does this, there is some struggle internally, personally in him. Back in John chapter 21, do you remember there, they, Jesus had rose from the dead and he said, meet me in Galilee. They go up to Galilee, they're fishing and they don't catch anything all day and, and then Jesus says, throw your net to the other side and that reminds them of their original call and, and the, the nets are filled with fish and Peter instantly jumps into the water and swims to shore and Jesus has fish sandwiches all ready for them and, 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 and then uh, this dialogue comes between Peter and Jesus. Peter's denied Jesus three times, and Jesus said, do you love me? 
three times. Peter says, I do love you, I do love you, I do love you. At the end of that passage, Jesus makes a prediction. The prediction is that that when when you get old, they're going to bind you and they're going to take you in places you don't want to go. Predicting Peter's death. The day was getting closer. As Peter ends this epistle, it will be months, maybe a year at most, before he's arrested by the Roman soldiers and, and taken out and crucified. According to legend, they make him watch his wife be crucified first and watch her die in front of his eyes. And then they take him and they lay him on a cross to crucify him. And Peter says, please, I'm not worthy to be crucified, but like my Lord, and crucify me upside down. And literally, it's, according to tradition, they suggest that he did, they did that. They put his cross upside down and he died as a martyr that way. Peter has been told by the Lord, this day is coming. It will be soon. And, and he says, I'm putting, off, I'm, I'm, I'm putting off this body like it's a tent. I, I love that picture. Do you ever think of, of, of this life being kind of that temporary thing, that tent that you live in for a little while and then it's gone and God's got a house for you? Peter says, I, I'm going to move out of this tent. It's flappy, it leaks, it's... It, 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 you know, the cords break once in a while. And I'm going to leave and I'm going to go to a place where it's perfect. But he says, before I go, I want you to remember. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you it again. I'm going to tell you it again. And I want you to remember what I've told you. Even, even though you know those stories. I, I, do you ever have a relative or a, 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 a friend who tells you the exact same stories again and again and again and again? And, and you can almost know how they finish the lines and stuff. And, and Peter says, I'm going to do that to you because when I leave, I want you to remember these things. I, I wonder if by this time he and Mark... John Mark, who mentioned in the last letter, had gotten together and sat down and written the gospel of Mark. Tradition says Peter joined Mark, and Mark was kind of his scribe, and and, and they put together the gospel of Mark. So you can remember. And so even as as Peter is emphasizing, he's saying to you and I, he says, there there are truths that I want to rekindle in your thoughts. There, there, There are events that I want you to revisit again and again and again so that you just know these stories and, and just know what, uh, what, what ever happened to Jesus because people would challenge it. In the future, false teachers are going to come in and they're, go- they're going to say to, to, to uh, um, him, uh, uh, the, the early church, that, that, that uh, Jesus didn't really live or Jesus didn't really die or, 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 or all of those things. And so Peter wants to establish in their mind again who Jesus was and what he had taught and what he had done on the cross and how he rose from the dead. Do you remember those stories? Do you think on those stories? Do you revisit those stories? There's there's a lady named Kate Hankley. Kate Hankley was born in 1834. Now, you and I normally wouldn't know that name. But we do know his, her, her friends because she was part of a group that was against slavery, abolitionists. Um, William Wilberforce, who was the guy who led it all, was one of her close friends. 
Kate was an interesting one, girl. She was born into a very wealthy family. She was highly educated, and, and, but she had this deep passion for Jesus Christ. And she wanted to tell whoever would listen to about the good news of Jesus Christ and the need for salvation. She was just this kind of little mini evangelist. But even more, she had this passion for teaching the Bible. Now, those were the days of the, the Industrial Revolution and, and people working 14, 16-hour days and, 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 and exhaustion and hunger and sickness and alcoholism and all of that incredible poverty around them. And Kate, this little rich girl, goes into those areas and starts a ministry. She starts teaching the Bible. She starts telling the stories of Jesus. And, and she'll get little shop girls who are working in, in shops and, 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 and back behind counters and all of those kinds. She'll, she'll find out when they're free from their work and she'll gather them together and she'll tell them the stories of Jesus. She'll go to the factories and, 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 and she'll enter the factories and, and she'll bring, find all of the girls who are working in the factories and find out when they can get together and they'll all gather and she'll tell them the story of Jesus. Later on, she'll actually enter the, the, the prisons, the, the women's prisons, and she'll do the same. She'll tell the story of Jesus. When, when Kate was 30 years old, she came down with incredible illness and was incredibly sick. In fact, for over a year, she was bedridden and house-ridden as she sought to, to recover. What was she going to do? She couldn't teach her, her students like she loved. She couldn't tell others about Jesus Christ. And so she went to a second gift. The second gift was, was, was the ability to write poetry. And so in her bed for hours and hours, she would dream and pray and, and, and write this poetry. She, she rat, wrote a long, long, long poem about Jesus. And, and uh, about a year after she had written it, she literally had it, had it put together and published in a paper. A, a songwriter, a very famous songwriter in her day, saw this poem and started to relight, re, uh, uh, read it and was deeply struck by it. And, and he decided he was going to take her words and put his music to it and write a, uh, write a hymn that people could sing in church. You've actually sang that song. It's tell me the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Another songwriter also saw that song, that, that poem, and, and he decided he was going to write a, a, a song based on, on, on these words too. And he wrote a second song using Kate's words, and it was a song that you've sang. It's called, I Love to Tell the Story, Jesus and His Glory. Peter says, I want you to be so deep into this word that you, you spend time remembering, rethinking, rekindling, revisiting God's word and, and knowing who God is and who Jesus is. And what it, because as that is established in you, you will be strong enough and defendable enough to walk into some of these places and not be sidetracked or not be deceived or not be drawn away. And so he tells us about two different areas that you and I need to prepare and you and I need to visit on a regular basis. The first is, he says, I want you to remember and recollect. 
I started looking up those words. What does it mean to remember? And one definition is to recall to your mind again and again and again. It means to retain a memory, maybe an event that took place in your life and my life. And, 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 and it, it sometimes relates to being an eyewitness. I remember when that happened. I remember when she was born. I remember when that took place. And it's one's personal experience. I remember. I recollect that event. Peter, with that in mind, looks at, 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 at his readers and says, I, I want you, first of all, to remember an event. Now, it's interesting. I, I started going through this thing. We've just gone through all the Gospels in the book of Acts, and, and we've just highlighted all kinds of events that, that Peter could have talked about. Peter could have re- re- remembered and, and reflected on and all of those things. And, and it could have been the healings that Jesus did. It could have been the casting out of demons. It could have been the walking on the water. It could have been just a teaching on the mountain. All of those things he could. But he focuses in on one event that fundamentally for him was the pinnacle of his experiences with Jesus. It's found in Matthew 17, Mark 9, and, and Luke 9. And Jesus takes several of his disciples, Matthew, uh, Peter, John, and James, and they go up to the mountain to pray. Now, he'd done this before, and they had done that before, and, and so it was just kind of normal. They didn't think it was special or anything, but for Jesus, it was a transformational event. Because the Bible says that, that they went up to this mountain and were all alone. The rest of the disciples were down in the valley. And, and, and as they were praying, Jesus started to change. His face started to glow and, 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 a, and a light started to radiate from him. His, 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 his clothes started to be transformed, became radiant white. In fact, one of the gospel writers says his clothes were so clean, it was cleaner than any bleach you could possibly find. And Jesus started to be transformed. Peter had known Jesus for several years now. He had never seen this Jesus. He had never seen the glorified Jesus, the triumphant Jesus, the Jesus you and I will see someday ourselves with our own eyes. And as that takes place, suddenly, much to Peter's astonishment, two individuals appear with him. Uh, one is Moses. Now Moses was, was the superstar that all the Jewish people loved. He, he was the guy that brought them out of slavery. He was the guy that gave them the law. He was, he, he was, he was the, the pinnacle of the Old Testament. And then another per, turned up, and, and it was Elijah, the, the prophet, the, 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 the guy who would take on the enemies of, of, of God and, and, and conquer nations and, and, and call down fire from the sky. And they would stand and talk. And Peter would say, oh, this is such a major event. Because, because the, 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 the giver of the law and the, and the, prophet, the head of the prophets and, and Jesus is with them and, and he, he's glorious and transformed. This, this is absolutely astounding. In fact, Peter says, you know, I, I think we should build three little huts here and kind of stay here forever in this spiritual place. Jesus would kind of shake his head. But right at that moment, a voice came out of the sky. This only happened several times in Scripture. Literally, the voice of God spoke and affirmed who Jesus is. This is my son, 
whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Interesting last comment, isn't it? Listen to him. And so, and so we have this, this, this spectacular event where we have, we have the transformed, radiant, glorious, majestic Jesus, the, the Father's presence, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the, the, the law and the prophets, all of them combined into one event. Peter says, I remember that. I remember when that happened. I was changed when that encounter came into my life. So I'm, I'm, watching, I'm watching these verses as, as Peter reflects them. And I'm saying, what, what is it that I need to learn? He, he, will, he will say this in his phrase. He says, but we have, were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Majesty is such a small world, but it means so much. His majesty. Peter would say, we were there at that moment. We, we saw who Jesus was, glorified, resurrected, anointed, empowered, all of those things. We always knew he's great, but we, we had no idea how great he was. He is God among us. We have witnessed his majesty. I, I, I want to apply this in kind of two different ways. I think that this is a calling to you and I to revisit the scriptures and, 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 to, and to place ourselves next to those scriptures and to see them through the eyes of the writers and see them as if we're present to them and witness them for ourselves for we are given that with the incredible gift of scripture. Do, do you take your Bible and do you, do you read it realizing that, that this was written so that you may see this event or you may hear these words in your life? Do you know the words of Jesus? Do you know the teachings of Scripture? And so Peter wants us to constantly revisit, make it pers a personal experience and, and, and literally become witnesses ourselves for we have heard this from those who were there. But I want to take you to a second level. Because I, I think partly what Peter's trying to communicate to you and I that, 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 that what we need in our spiritual journeys is a personal experience ourselves with Jesus. It's interesting, I was listening to a, a man th this week, I've been reading his book, and I just, just finished his book, and, and he, he comes out of India, and, and uh, he, he deals with Muslims, and he deals with Buddhists, and all kinds of, and he says the interesting thing about the other world religions is none of them have a personal relationship with God. God is high, and lifted up, and different, and absent, and separate, or, or not even a person. But we, we get to know him. I think it's 17 times in this book that Peter uses the word know, that you may know. And Jesus wants you to know him in a deep and a personal way. Now, there's, diff there's different parts to this. For, for, for some of you, you need to remember. You need to remember those times when you had an encounter with the living Lord. I, I was praying this morning and I was thinking about this, and, and the Lord kind of started taking me back over some of my history. I, I remember when I was eight years old with my mom sitting on a bunk bed praying, asking Jesus Christ into my heart. I remember that. 
I, I, I remember when I was a junior high boy, I was at a, a, a boys camp and, and, and it, it was a, quite a bad cabin and, and, and the Lord just, and the, the spirit came powerfully among us and there was this like mini revival and I, I literally remember as a junior high the words I prayed. God was present. I, I, I remember when I was grade 12 and I had been rebellious and I had tried to reject God and wanted nothing to do with him and I ended up in the hospital. I almost died and, 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 and I remember his sweet, sacred voice speaking to me. I remember rededicating my heart. I, I remember going to college and I was wrestling with ministry and I wanted nothing to do with the, the, the pastoral ministry of the church and all of those kind of things. And we wrestled for a long time and I remember when I said, okay, not my will, but your will be done. Do you have moments you remember? Maybe it was at a camp. As a kid that you asked Jesus Christ in your heart, maybe it was, it's, it's a worship experience you had where you just had a deep sense of God's presence in your life and, and the awe and the wonder of that worship. You may remember walking forward at a crusade or praying with a prayer, asking Jesus Christ into your heart. You, those are sacred moments that you need to remember. There's something about us that often forgets. There also, I believe, needs to be a longing in your life for more encounters with the living God. And, and I know every time I open the Bible and I, every time I pray God is present, I know that. But there are special moments when God visits us at a deeper, richer, more powerful level. It's not something you can manipulate. It's some, not something you can orchestrate. It, it's his control, but it's your yielding. Some of you say, well, I've never, never had that kind of experience. I, I, I've, I've never had that, that, that deep, sacred, holy event to come into my And I want to just suggest to you that you just start with some very practical steps. Find some quiet time where your kids or your, your, your work or, or all of that won't interrupt. It's, it's take an hour. And get your Bible and start with some prayer and do some cleansing prayer and get rid of the sin and, 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 and ask for God to fill you with the faith and then start reading some scriptures and inviting God to speak to you. That still quiet voice. And it won't happen the first time and maybe the second time or maybe the tenth time. But the tenth or eleventh or fifteenth time you will suddenly have an encounter with the living God. Now here's the reality of why this is important. Because all of the excuses our world has for not following God, they just fall like rubble to the ground. All the questions atheists ask and all of that just fall to the ground. When you are in the presence of the living God, <laughs> the foolishness of this world that says there's no God just becomes almost laughable. And you feel that deep sacredness of him. But Peter's not finished. He says, this is part of the journey you need as you walk with him on a daily significant level. He then turns and he, he starts, he says these words. He says, we do not follow cleverly invented stories. When we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
power, the work of Jesus in the Gospels of, of healing and, and casting out demons and raising the dead and, 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 and ascending and, and all of those things, stilling the waters, all of those things. This word coming is parousia, which, which, which is a, a Greek word that is always attached to his second coming. And so Peter says, Peter says uh, we're, we are not like those of this world who make up false stories about who God is. We have seen his power expressed and we live in anticipation of his coming. Then Peter starts to break it apart and I want to walk you through three parts of this. He says this, and we have the word of the prophets, which brackets means scriptures. Whenever they talked about the Old Testament prophets, the, the writers of the Old Testament, it was Moses or Isaiah or Ezekiel or Daniel, or they were considered, referred to as the prophets. We have the word of the prophets, which is scripture, made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it, what they wrote. I'm not going to go into a long description of how these prophets were anointed and called and, 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 and used to write the Holy Scriptures for us. There's a whole study on that. Two words that you need to know. One is the word revelation. Revelation is, is, is the fact that there is an unknownness in us about God. Because of sin and because of spiritual blindness, because of humanness and, and earthliness and all of those things. If, if we just walk around, there's nothing. We, we can see God in creation and all of those things. But we really don't get him until he reveals himself. And the truth is, and this is the Christian message, that God has revealed himself to us through revelation to sp certain writers of, of the scriptures and, and, and through Jesus Christ himself. He has revealed himself. He has shown himself to us. He has spoken to us. We know him and have heard him and can follow him. He said, these words are made certain so pay attention to them. Pay attention to them. Now there's a whole other level of, of, of focusing on that word prophecy or prophecies. Prophecies are the prediction of future. Now there, there, there are different ways of defining this word. It, it literally means God's word through an individual to his people. But sometimes, and, and often in Scripture, that was about a prediction. That was about a foretelling about this event will take place or that event. And, and, and we've looked at this over the years. If, if you've ever been to a Christmas service, you'll talk about some of the prophecies of Christ's coming. And, and he, he, he will be born in Bethlehem. And, and he, he will be wrapped in swaddling clothes. And all of those kind of things, those, those predictions. He will... He will uh, I, there's a, about 300 prophecies, about over 300 prophecies about Christ coming on his first advent. But the prophets will tell us other things as well. You see, a quarter of the Bible is prophetic, predictive. Some things have been predicted and fulfilled. Other things are still to come. In fact, we're living in anticipation of those other things. That he has predicted, he has told us the things that are coming in future days. And we are to live in anticipation and readiness for those prophecies. Peter's saying, I want you to know that. They are certain. 
They are predicted. Pay attention to it. And so after, after he shapes this scripture, he then goes on to revealing another aspect of the scripture. He says, remember he said this word? He says, these are not made up argument or stories by other people. These aren't people who sat down. Moses didn't sit down in his tent one day and said, I'm going to make up a story and write it down. Or Daniel didn't sit in his upper room and after five hours of prayer decide, I'm, 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 I think I'll, I'll make this up. None of the, that's not how prophets work. Prophets received and then wrote. They, they would write in their own language. They would write in their own personality. But the Holy Spirit would oversee it so that it was accurate and true and honest. Listen to Peter. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy in Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation. Now, sadly, that's a bad translation. That word interpretation, some of your Bibles will have it. It's probably a better word to put in of their own origin. Otherwise, they didn't make it up. Then he explains. He says, for prophets never had in its origin in the, willing, in the will of man, the choice of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along. I love this word, carried along. It's a, it's a sailing term. It's a wind term. I don't know if any of you have sat on, on sailing boats, but if you sail on a sailing boat, it, it, will just, it can sit there in the water. There's no wind. It just, it, it's lifeless. It just, you can have the sails out. You can, you can <laughs> and, and they'll just hang there like rags. And then God will send a wind, a slight wind. And the sails will start to fill. And then a stronger wind, and they'll fill more. And, and then a stronger wind, and they, they'll start to drive that boat. And a stronger wind, and it'll be speeding across the lake or the ocean, wherever you're at. Peter says this. When God spoke to these men, the Holy Spirit carried them along, moved them, inspired them, bore them along. And they wrote scripture that you and I need to hear by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit oversaw it as well. But here's even what's neater. When you open your Bible, the scripture tells us that when you open your Bible and you start to read, the Holy Spirit who indwells all who are believers will come upon you and it, he will start to enlighten you. It, it, I, I like the word of highlighting. Some of you know I'm kind of a highlighter. I like to highlight everything. And, and, and if you, you look at my Bible, it's full of highlights. And, and it's, it's like that. He, as you start to read, he will highlight the words and highlight the, the ideas and highlight the, the applications to your life. And it, and it will be literally God speaking to you through the Holy Word. So it not only hits your head, but as he said, it will hit your heart. It will change you. It will transform you. It will carry you along. It will move you. And so Peter says, I, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this, that you need to remember the stories of Jesus. And you remember, need to remember the, your stories with Jesus. 
And you need to read his scriptures and you need to learn it because that will create a foundation that will keep you solid and safe as you deal with the lies and the deception and the false teachers and the false teachings and the foolishness of this world so that you can be overcomers. Peter ends with a picture that I think I think many pastors miss. I think many readers of the scriptures miss. This is what he says. He says, and we have the word of prophets made certain. We've read that already. And you will do well to pay attention to it. We've read that already. Then listen to this. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What's, what's he talking about? You and I live in this dark world. It's full of sin. In fact, I think it's getting darker. As as sin seeks to try to advance, to try to overwhelm, and especially overwhelm his church and his people. And and, and the world is, 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 the minds of of so many in our world are blackened and darkened and confused. and, And the foolishness that they believe is true is startling. But you have a light. You have a light that he has given you, both in you through the presence of the Spirit and God's experience in your life and his holy word. In ancient times, they would have a phrase called the morning star. Now, I don't know if you, are get, you get up early in the morning, but if you get up early in the morning and it's still really dark, You may see the moon in whatever case it is, but as dawn is starting to come, the stars which will be blanketing the the heavens will start to disappear, that there would be enough light that they kind of fade. And and as as, as the sun gets a little closer, you will see them fade out except for one star, but it's not a star, it's actually a planet called Venus. And, and the ancients have always named it the morning star. It doesn't matter what the culture is or anything. It's the morning star. It's the last star before morning comes. And Peter looks at us and says, you are living in a dark, dark world. And you need to live recognizing that you are here till the dawn comes. When's that? When does all the light start to come? When does the sun come out? When can we see the sky, the daytime? I want to suggest to you when Jesus returns. And the morning star rises in your hearts. Otherwise, in in this world, there's blindness all around us. But we have a light that he has given us. It, it, it has a testimony that is, is placed deeply in our heart. It, it reveals, and I, the thing I love about light is darkness can't stand against it. You can be in a pitch black room with the doors closed and no windows, and, and then you turn on a, a wee little mini light and pfft, it drives back the dark. You have that in you. Let me say it again. You have that in you. 
And that will give you the hope that the dawn is coming. That the end of time is around the corner. That, that, that as Jesus comes, you will start to see his handiwork around us. And you will start to see that there's going to come a moment when poof, the light is there. I get up really early in the mornings and uh, uh, often I will get up and leave the house before it's, it's still dark. But I'm always amazed as spring comes, as I'll get up every morning and it's a little lighter and a little lighter and a little, until I'm getting up and it's like it's full day and it's 5.30 in the morning. Jesus said, live with that hope. And so as Peter takes us into these next two chapters, and they're going to be hard chapters, he invites us to do a couple things. Do you remember how he walked among us? Do you know the stories of Jesus? Do you remember his prophecies that have been fulfilled? Do you know of the prophecies that will be fulfilled? And you taken this inspired holy scriptures anointed by God from the moment it was written. And have you placed it into your heart? It's God working in your heart. Because he says, if that is true, then you will be protected. If that is true, when, when darkness comes, you'll be able to stand against it. If that is true, the enemy will never overcome you. For God, for God is with you and he will never leave you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this is actually a simple lesson and yet it's something we have to practice. Lord, let us do what Peter asked us to do. Let, let us visit and listen to him tell us the stories of Jesus again and again and again. Let us learn from them. Let us learn about Jesus through them. And then, and then as we walk these stories into our lives, allow us to live them out. Allow us to experience um, the truth of them. And allow our story with Jesus to come along beside that and, and help us to grow and recognize his presence and his touch even day by day. We ask that you'd even take us deeper, that into our hearts this confidence of your truth and your light would be so solid that the darkness is driven away. Lord Jesus, we look forward to your coming with anticipation, with longing. We can't wait to see you again. And ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.